today there's nobody else on the podcast apart from me and today's guest throughout the winter I thought it would be a good idea to bring some interviews for you all considering there's not going to be a whole lot of race analysis to be going on with um I will hopefully bring a little bit of cross analysis now and again um bring in some other special guests i'm still holding out hope that i can drag tilda back onto the podcast one day but for now i'm going to bring some interviews with riders with team behind the scenes people also known as staff i suppose don't know why i said it like that i'm also keen as we did with the last series of interviews with this podcast actually, to bring you some voices from the industry overall who aren't necessarily directly involved in pro cycling and racing, but who are women who work in the cycling industry and their experience of that um, and how they came into the industry, what it's like for them in what is, you know, a very male-dominated environment. So today, I have a conversation with the global marketing manager for Live Bikes, uh, Cassandra Spring. I have actually um, brought a Q&A with Cassandra to the paid subscribers of the newsletter, which came out just before the Tour de France Femme um, earlier this year. And Cassandra answered some questions about herself, and about her role and a bit about Liv too and their involvement in women's pro racing and the Tour de France Femme because we know as well that they are the sponsors of the Young Riders jersey at that race. But today, um, we're gonna talk a little bit about that, but we're also gonna talk about a mentorship scheme that Cassandra is part of called Uplift which was created by the business director of Shift Active Media, which is a cycling-oriented marketing agency. And the founder of that is um, of this mentorship program is Rachel Burnside, who is the business director of the cycling-oriented uh, marketing agency Shift Active Media. So, and the idea behind Uplift is to give aspiring industry women access to a network of senior female professionals. And obviously Cassandra in her role at Live is a senior professional. So she will be taking part in that program and she'll be mentoring female professionals for that. Um, So we talked a lot about it. We talked about her entry into the industry, what it's like for her as a woman in a still very male dominated world. We talked about things like confidence we talked about imposter syndrome we talked about what's great about cycling and the culture around cycling and we talked about her love of the intersection between the sport and um and in culture and in community so i hope you enjoy this conversation with cassandra spring cassandra welcome to the podcast it's great to have you on Thank you, Amy. I'm so happy to spend this time with you. So paid subscribers um, to the newsletter will, well, hopefully have read the Q&A that I published back in July before the tour with Cassandra. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about some of the same 
themes today but we're also here to talk about a new mentor scheme that Cassandra's part of called Uplift um, which aims to match experienced female leaders in the cycling industry with the next generation of talent so that sounds super interesting we're going to get into that but first of all Cassandra for anybody who isn't familiar could you just tell us a little bit about yourself please sure yes happy to I am uh, the global brand manager at Live. Um, and I get to work with a team that is really focused on the live brand at the, um, so there's a global marketing team that I'm leading. And then we work together with our live leaders, um, at sales companies around the world. So it's a real joy to be able to do that. Um, and it's, um, it's also, we're pretty agile, meaning we're also kind of a lean team. And so it's a team of very, I think, passionate leaders and um, that want to change the world. So it's fun to be part of. Yeah, great. Um, And how long have you been working in the cycling industry for? Actually, I have worked with Liv for, um, it'll be six years in in March. And prior to that, I um, had a creative industries background and did some um, consulting work in the outdoor industry. So I had early exposure um, in outdoor and then I moved specific to cycling just six years ago. Okay. So um, I remember reading in the Q&A though that you have always kind of had an, or you've had an interest in cycling for a long time, no? Definitely. I mean, I was the 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 kid that was um, very excited to be um, challenging neighbor kids to racing up and down the street. That was a fun thing for me to do. And I, um, I have a lot of younger siblings, so making sure that they could also be riding bikes. And um, and then, you know, even to the point of riding my younger brother around in a in a child seat years ago on my dad's 10 speed as soon as my legs could reach safely um and then for me actually I stepped away during my teen years at my teen years and um I came back to cycling first as a commuter in college and university and so I lived in a in Bellingham Washington in the U.S. And um, that is a very popular uh, mountain biking area. And so I had my first mountain bike purchase um, to get to and fro to campus and to my, to my jobs, various jobs. And um, yet it was really when I found community um, that I fell in deep love with cycling. And that's always remained an important facet for me. Um, the first expression that I found was in Steamboat Springs, Colorado. So here I um, post-graduation, I was in another mountain town and they had a, a town challenge series um, that was you know, throughout the summer months and would bring people together. And Steamboat Springs, for those that don't know, it's, it's one of those towns that boasts um, a high percentage of Olympians for a city. It's, it's a small city, but for its size. Um, so there was great talent. Um, but there was so much enthusiasm across all of the categories and just week after week coming out to cheer on others and to be cheered on. Um, I don't know. It, it really opened up something, a, a love for the sport within me and one that I've really been eager to share with others. Yeah, I think that's something that a lot of people talk about when they talk about why they like cycling is the community and 
the people you meet and just the kind of the whole environment around it um but also what interested me from reading your q a was that you talked about how you're interested in the intersection between cycling and culture um can you talk a little bit more about that absolutely so um and i really found this place a little bit more as i um kind of gained confidence to be quite honest in my own um leadership abilities so Fast forward a few years, I was now living in, in um, Bend, Oregon, and there's a really um, well-developed racing series um, in, uh, in Oregon. So a lot of the races were over in Portland, and I would travel over, um, which is three hours, three hours away. But what I knew about this um, cyclocross community was that there was so much, again, there's so much passion and that it was really creative. There was so much expression. And so when the city that I was living in um, won the, the bid to, to host national cyclocross championships in 2009 and 2010, I had the audacity to approach so, you know, somebody high up in the, in the city and was like, we really need to do something special. We really need to show off um, the, the culture, the creative culture that exists here, because that's what this audience is going to be interested in. I know this, you know, I just, I wanted to, to like show the very best side. And so it was, um, a multifaceted <laughs> citywide or multimedia citywide kind of arts festival in conjunction with cyclocross nationals. Um, that was, um, the plan, a plan that was forged and that included, you know, spoken word, um, it included a, a bike art show that was um, basically placed into businesses downtown to help kind of with, you know, just the economic benefits of hosting the events, but also get people mixing in with, you know, local merchants. Um, there was even painting cowbells for young children. It was really a way for people in this community to, um, in the cyclocross community and the local community to intersect right, around creativity and around, and, and really like kind of touch culture. And also at the same time, of course, it's like that, I love when, you know, those kind of, those those intersections I think are so in, so interesting. So how does cycle, cyclocross culture um, land in a mountain community in Bend, Oregon? And then how does that also shape, you know, the future of the cyclocross community? Because people are really struck by that. They, number one, felt quite welcome. And then for family members that were attending with them and perhaps not racing, they had activities to do that really allowed them to meet with others. So yeah, it was this kind of, obviously it was a passion project. I was um, delighted to do it the first year. And the best part of it is I had enough kind of, I had a volunteer force that I was working with and I had um, in the in the tourism bureau kind of a, a an executive that really believed in it. And so the first thing, like even before the event was over, he was like, oh, we're gonna, we, we're gonna make this even bigger next year, right? And it was like a hundred percent, this is happening. And um, so it was one of those things that it, it was a way to pay forward um, kind of some of, yeah, just the, the joy of cycling and, um, and then just to see how that can ripple out. And um, yeah, so that's one example. And it's kind of been, interesting as as things have gone on because this did happen outside of um the work that I was doing it was a passion project 
but it helped shape the work that I was doing. It helped shape my path and forge my path. So I think, yeah, it was just, it was a fun one. And it built confidence, right? And just like what it, to have a good idea and to bring people together. Um, and certainly within the cycling community, I think there is an eagerness to share the love. And so I think that made it, yeah, it was, it was all the right ingredients to do fun things. Yeah, that sounds great. I think it, it sort of made me realize how, when you were talking, I was like, you know, so many races go to these towns and events go to these places and they, some of the time, well, the, the places they go to end up spending money on it and everything. But a, a big thing in cycling is the business model of it and the, return on investment for sponsors and race organizers and that to me sounds like a bit of a no-brainer way of of getting like the whole community involved and making people and making the host towns and cities feel like they're getting something out of it when they host a race so yeah that sounds really cool yeah, I mean it, it's interesting to have that reflected back to me because I just think about the trajectory and I think and I, I'm not trying to jump ahead in any way, but to be be for Liv's um, partnership with the Tour de France Femme and White Jersey sponsorship. Now, here we are. I mean, I believe the Tour de France Femme is like, it transcends cycling culture, but it is the same dynamic of, right, these cities in, in France and also this year we're going to have a grand depart in, in Rotterdam. Um, but they are vying for that opportunity to host the event. And it is a beautiful thing to see how the community comes to life and how it animates around it and how really truly it is about creating that sense of belonging for anybody that's there. So only just, I have to, I had to say that because I see that, that, that connection now, which I think is really fun to, to reflect on. It was something that I, um, you know, for me at the time in the event that I was doing, it was just this like, oh, this would be interesting. It was very instinctive and um, and collaborative and creative, yes. But even today, years on, years on, you know, I see how how that is continually kind of shaping a different, a different future and, and contributing to more interest in the sport. And the truth is, you know, that the, I say this in a variety of different ways, but um, I, I want a future where there is um, belonging and it takes all of us, right, to shape the future that we want to live in. And that's so true in cycling too, you know, to have a more inclusive space and where people really feel welcome. Um, and and not only as, you know, professional athletes, which I, I've never been, <laughs> but also, you know, it's the journalists, it's the storytellers, it's the, the fans. Oh my goodness, right? Like, it's all of these elements. It is the sponsors. It is all, you know, all of these, um, it takes all of us to kind of co-create something new and different. And, and now we're seeing it happening and it's gaining momentum and it's really exciting. Yeah, for sure. Um, and on the subject of, of like inclusion and sort of being made to feel welcome in the sport, what has your experience as a woman in a very male dominated industry, which we don't need to say on here everybody knows that um what has that been like for you both as a rider like as a participant in cycling and in in the workplace as well um okay so it's interesting that I'm going to parse them out just for a minute because I think as a rider I really 
I returned to the sport and got in, you know, more immersed in the sport because of a, a partner, because of a male, you know, kind of, we can say ally or just advocate for me. You know, I mean, I bought my first bike. It probably wasn't the best purchase <laughs> in the end. I didn't, I, you know, I was like, oh, but I loved it nonetheless. But then I had kind of the advice of like, not only where to be riding, I had that, you know, kind of the um, experience of joining a group and finding community, but that was nurtured by having somebody that was kind of like encouraging me and, and creating kind of opportunity for me to make progress as a cyclist. And I am grateful for our allies. And that comes into when we think about the professional sphere, it's, um, I think uh, I came to it, you know, fairly mature in my career, um, but it does, uh, it's really interesting. And I, I want to say something special about the organization I'm in at Live. I mean, Bonnie too is the founder and champion of Live and she has, she's a pioneer, you know, today she's 74, um, but she really, she was a chief financial officer of Giant Group, now Giant Group, um, she returned, she came into it at about 54. And at that point, well, she was doing the job and she started riding again at age 54 because she was facing menopause. And, and one of her medical um, advisors was like, you know, cycling <laughs> is a really good exercise to be doing. And it was when she began to cycle and um, she was like, hold on, like we need to come at this differently for women. And so I really, I want to acknowledge number one, that that is, um, that there is this pioneer and trailblazer within the organization, but still, yes, today in the organization, it is mostly male. And so my experience has been, um, it's been good, but I've really, I've relied on um, kind of the allies and advocates that I could identify. And let's, you know, I think, uh, this past year, I had the, um, the I had the joy of attending the bicycle leadership conference because Bonnie too was was speaking there, and I was there with her. And I'm looking out in the room, and um, it is still primarily, you know, I'd say uh, middle aged and primarily white. And um, and um, I was struck by that truth, and I really see. I also. At that event, they had a, an organized um, programming for women. And every woman that was there was like, I want to know you. Who are you? What are you doing? And so, I mean, and that was just kind of, we were seeking out each other. And then we had this organized event together. And that's where I felt all this energy. And I, that's also where I was like, wow, it's really an early wave of feminine leadership within this industry. It really is. And I was, it kind of struck me. I was like, wow, at this time you know and i think other industries it might it, it's different but in i think feminine leadership in mass is like we're just coming into like this first wave and that yeah it was kind of it's a it's been a power powerful thing to recognize i want to also say this year at the tour de france femme so it's a second year on the ground really seeing that and the women that were present and really appreciating, you know, the leadership and that it's really kind of, you, you, one could feel like, oh, this is really taking its own shape and having conversations with women that are decision makers and leaders and, 
different organizations. I mean, there's already been great plans hatched because of it, <laughs> and um, but it's a different dynamic. And it's really, really refreshing to have those opportunities and spaces for us, um, especially as leaders. And I think um, as somebody that is actively working with the team, one of the things that is a priority for me is clearing the path for them to the best of my ability, right? And so what can we be doing? And, and that, I, I don't know, for me, it's kind of the, the, the ability to fill up the reservoir and create more capacity for that type of leadership comes through um, those relationships with peers um, as women, but also with allies and, and with advocates that really see the need for inclu a more inclusive future. So when you talk about clearing the path, um, what does that look like to you? Yeah, um, clearing the path is creating opportunities for visibility. I think that's really important. And, you know, every organization has its own culture, but oftentimes we are working within hierarchical kind of structures, right? And I think there has been a leadership um, that I've had exposure to, might not be true for everyone, where a person is standing in front of all of the work. And no, and pe and people see that that person. So one condition that I am trying to actively create is that the people doing the work are celebrated as leaders of the work, or at least visible for the work that they're doing. So important, right? They, you need that visibility in order to have to advance within an organization. So how can I, that's something as a leader? I think you, decision making wise that you can kind of shape and influence and like okay, give them opportunity and give also create a space or an environment for that is safe to learn. You know, we talk about safe spaces, but I, and I I really I like the researchers and the advice to say no brave spaces. How can we have a culture where people can be brave and make courageous decisions because they know that there's a high level of trust. And that failure will not result in in punishments, right? So it is kind of, I think that's another way actively within the team that I work with, where it's like we have high trust and um, we're also creating opportunities. And we are seeing across the team, everyone's um, strengths as a leader, right? And the truth of the matter is that we all have complementary strengths and that truly uh, a great organization, you know, is, is, effectively working with those complementary strengths. They're not just working because of one person at the top that's doing everything right. So I'm, it, that's an acknowledgement and a way in which we're operating our team that I think sets, you know, for me, it's been, it's something I've, I have really um, intrigued by. And I do think, I'm, I'm hopeful that that is creating those conditions to help kind of clear the path Number one, I, I can take risks in my career. Number two, I have visibility for when I'm doing work. And, and also it is like, it's lifting up and elevating those successes, making sure they're seen. And again, with the right attribution, you know, um, it's no threat to have somebody that is within your team that's like found an insight and leveraged it well and had a success. We want everybody to see that because it can spark some different ideas. I love that because I think one of the big or one of the main barriers for a lot of women when it comes to kind of a corporate environment or any kind of job application or anything where they there's that that kind of um, example of, you know, if a woman's looking at a job application and she thinks that she needs to have like all of the skills and a man will apply if he has maybe like 
three quarters or if even that and once you get there you're going to be more there's there's a confidence thing which I think women experience more which is that you feel like you need to be doing everything perfectly in order to justify your presence so I think to create a space where it's it's absolutely encouraged to kind of put yourself out there and if you make a mistake then it's fine that's that's really important I really love that yeah yeah, there's a lot of research around that confidence gap. And I'll just share from my own experience. There's a really good article that goes back years um, in the Atlantic. But just from my own experience, I know that I was praised for when I got the answer right. And so I've, you know, I just kind of, it's interesting how that shaped my own behavior for some time. And I became a little bit risk averse because I wasn't 100% sure that I could do it right. And this is something that we point out often, like, how could you like, first of all, there's no one right way. Let's, there isn't. And also like, how could you know how to do something you've never done before? <laughs> and let's also like, for me, it's like, I have a growth mindset and I hope to always be learning and growing and stretching. And so also I wouldn't want all of the qualifications for that other position because I'm here to grow and learn. So even for, you know, like if you see like if something, where's your spark and what interests you and no trusting and knowing you can grow into it. Is this the thing you want to grow into, right? And are the conditions going to be favorable for you to thrive in in this in this position? Those are, I think, more. Those are those are the questions I try and and ask today. Um, but for a while, I kind of suffered from that too. Like, oh gosh, could I do this? Could I do this perfectly or right? Yeah. 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 So I mean, we talk a lot about um, imposter syndrome and all of these things. I think. In, I imagine, well, I mean, I've, I've had it myself as well in, in journalism, like in a male dominated industry and one that is cycling as well can be quite, um, you have to be in the know with a lot of things that there's no sort of like rules. There's no like, oh yeah, this is how it is. You just sort of like learn as you go with it, which I guess is the case with a lot of things. But if you look around and, and you don't see many people like you, then you are going to sort of feel like you need to justify your place there or that you're perhaps like not, you have to prove yourself more or you have to, you will perhaps feel a bit of like imposter syndrome. I've certainly had it in the past. Yeah, it's interesting even, I mean, I'll be very, I don't know, vulnerable in a way. I was sharing with you that I'm at a conference and and it's uh, with a Kind of an e-commerce focus and I'm um, yesterday I presented some of the work and some of the plans for the future and and I I mean I'm really proud of the work that's being accomplished and also I just had this this feeling with my presentation I was like the work's so good I needed to represent the quality of work and it's again just like it's one of those things I'm like was that was that good enough <laughs> And, it, you know, I'm turning in my own head and then also just like, yeah, it's um, yes, it's enough. And that's actually another, I think, important thing. And um, because the truth of the matter is like, uh, yeah, we uh, I don't know the, the enoughness of things. Um, but I do see that not only in mentoring, but again, having those pure relationships within the industry. It's helpful. It's helpful when you kind of encounter those moments of just kind of like, okay, I'm going through this thing or, Hey, or just that, you know, that, that check-in with another person, like, is this, I don't know, just, 
yeah, that I think the affirmation of enough is, is one thing that it sounds so simple, but actually it's so beneficial to have that sometimes, especially when, when you feel like you've been pushing a rock up a hill for a while. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's also reassuring to know that somebody with your experience still has those feelings sometimes. So I don't yeah. know if it'll ever end. And I think, again, that's wonderful because if I was here to be all knowing, then, you know, I, I don't I just think that I'll always I'll continue to get more wrinkles and, and you know, I'm going to continue to age, but I'll still have this really, you know, same interest in knowledge and growth as long as I'm on this planet. So I think it's kind of a fun thing to be able to model that too, right? There are people that are younger in their careers and to just normalize it. And actually, and it's also like, we don't want it to slow us down, but we also have to acknowledge it's because we care. It's because we're invested. It's because we want excellence, you know, and that we want to, for me, I think even more and more, it's like, it's because it's a benefit to society, to this organization, you know, ultimately I'm doing things that I think are really meaningful and that's why I care. And that's beautiful. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, to go back to the start of the, the mentorship program specifically, um, I think the reasons are probably quite, quite clear, but what, what made you want to be involved um, specifically in this one? Oh yeah. So, I mean, I just have such admiration for, Rachel's initiative and drive because she was like, it was a what if we, and, and it, I mean, for me, it was a resounding yes. Here's why I have benefited from mentorship programs myself. And, um, and it is, um, and I, it's that sounding board that's not within your organization, again, where you can have a brave space to talk about things when they get hard or talk about like things that yeah, practice sometimes, you know, there's lots for me, there were a lot of really um, important benefits. And, you know, concretely, it was at a time, um, I, well, I've had more than one mentor, but most recently, I just was in a space of um, acknowledging um, ambition, and feeling like dead ended a little bit like, oh, I don't know how to, um, like, I'm here. I want to continue to grow. I, you know, I had, there's another move that I want and talking with somebody about that and having, you know, kind of tactical advice on like, okay, that feels like a dead end right there. Okay, what about this? What about that? And so it was good just to have that, that sounding board. And just also for me, it kind of fed a, I am a pretty tenacious person, but it did kind of give me this sense of, you know, persistence and and that I had an ally, you know, again, outside of an organization that that could do that. Um, I've mentored in other programs. Um, and I, I have to say now coming at it from from, you know, a mentor um, perspective, it flows both directions always, you know, the mentor mentee relationship is really special. And I'm always learning from the people that I am mentoring and, um, and I'm oftentimes asked things that are very relevant, at, you know, to the to the work that I'm doing. Um, and then if we bring it to cycling and again, back to uplift, um, I was like, oh, yes, resounding. Yes. Because, again, as I was saying earlier, we're still very much in an early wave of, of um, feminine leadership within the industry. And we want and need more of that. And um, so it just seemed like, yeah, the, you know, and clearly already we know there's amazing the demand is is incredible 
Um, the response has been incredible. I think on both sides, you know, people wanting to mentor and I think, you know, scaling a, 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 a new program is, is not an easy thing to do because, you know, you're like, okay, you get buy-in from X amount of people and now we're navigating, you know, a condition where there, there's tremendous interest. And so I think Rachel's already like, okay, how can we stretch this to um, have, you know, reach more people because we know that the desire is really there. And that was the time, right? It really is. There's so much uh, momentum and growth in, in uh, I think, in the women's sports, you know, globally in the women's sports movements. And we do need that leadership. And so we don't want people to be leaving. We don't want that attrition because people are losing, you know, losing hope or don't have that perspective. Um, and and also for all of those ambitious women, you know, to see that there is a place for them in the executive and, you know, that C-suite and at that executive levels in the future and to keep working towards it. That's great to hear that um, there's been so much interest. That was, I was kind of wondering, you know, like how many applications or like how, what the response has been, but that's, yeah, that's great to hear. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I, I, I don't know if I'm at liberty to share the numbers, but I'll just say that it was like far exceeded the expectations. And, and again, there is this moment right now of like, okay, how can, maybe we can get more uh, on the mentoring side to serve more people because we see the need. I mean, we see that it's the demand is there. Yeah. And so, so for you as a mentor, what would that kind of look like? Obviously it depends on the person, but for your, in your position as a mentor, how do you, how do you approach that? Yeah. So we're still actually navigating the structure for uplift in, um, but we will have individual sessions and we'll have a defined quantity of that kind of um, obsession. So time kind of given. I will say that the model that, I'm, that I, I have experience in is one where it is kind of defined for a period of time. And, and then upfront, it's kind of just outlining, you know, here's our schedule and honestly, it's a little bit hard to let go. Once you have, you know, you kind of have <laughs> that connection with somebody. For me, I have an ongoing interest in their success, right? So um, it's been uh, very rewarding um, in the other programs to, um, yeah, even though there's a short defined duration to um, kind of maintain um, that uh, connection just for, having a resource for, you know, those, the, yeah, just those check-ins. And honestly, it serves in a variety of ways. Um, and I do think it's mutual throughout the the duration of the relationship. So um, I think there's a little bit that we're still defining here. Uh, and, but I know it's going to be so good. I'm so pleased to be a part of it. Yeah. It's, I think it's such a cool thing. And I think what I love as well about it is I was looking at who was involved and like the names of everybody and it was like all of these amazing women and honestly I was like oh yeah it's like everyone that was at the Tour de France firm that made it feel like this really cool environment where you look around and there's just women everywhere and it, for cycling for for sport it, that's like a rarity I remember riding up the Tourmalet with Kate from Zwift and being like I love this her. is sick <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's a it feels like a great constellation, right? I mean, 
And um, I really, uh, yeah, the tour this year, you know, you were there, you felt it too. Um, it is like just admiration of, of leaders and, and women shining each in their own right and within their organizations. And yes, we know like people face headwinds in these organizations, right? Like that is, I mean, if any woman that is, is there, I just, I know she's worked. Really, I mean, talk about a turmoil, <laughs> talk about a climb, right? Like it's been, um, yeah, it's um, a lot of effort has gone into it. And yet how cool that we get to kind of ride together now, right? How cool that we can bring, that we can grow the Peloton just to stay with the analogy for another, you know, like how cool that there's more and more and more. And I do think that um, the tour, this is another kind of Tour de France Femme benefit. Again, I think some, you know, it's like you need that kind of exposure to one another and you need those moments of just like, I don't know, they can really spark imaginations and and that can lead into, you know, kind of build into programs like this. And I think even bigger things to come. It's it's quite exciting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's the classic. If you can't see it, you can't be it. But also it's like the encouragement that that gives when you do see that there's a lot other other women in the industry. And I think it's also, you know, we talk a lot about, I mean, we've analyzed to the death as journalists, the kind of growth in, in the women's peloton and, and the world tour and all of that on the actual sports side of the industry. But when it comes to the, the more, I guess, corporate side or, you know, like the businesses involved, which have that trickle down into the actual sport as well, I think that's an area that isn't at, actually considered very often when it comes to the sport as a whole so I think it's that's another way to highlight it I think it you know it's really interesting because and Kate and I have chatted about this and and other I mean there's a lot of conversations around this but you know with those business decisions um we that we we have to demonstrate impact also right there has to be a benefit that it's not, I mean, it's not purely goodwill and it's not all altruism and there is, you know, business models. And so finding that way to define that and to demonstrate that is, it's really important. And, you know, that is why, you know, I think there are these conversations around, like when you see, and it, I mean, it's really, when you see a brand kind of investing um, and, and also let's say publications too, because I do believe in the importance of representation in journalism and women, like they need to be, the, the story changes when the storyteller changes, right? Like the story is a different story and it's, it's expressed differently and how, and so I just, yeah, it's, it's important to recognize that, um, investment and also there's a kind of a responsibility um, internally that goes along with that. And I think now me as somebody externally, it's gotten me even more um, considerate when I see the investment in women's sports and where I put, you know, like kind of where my affinities are. It makes a difference. And so I'm, yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's still such a work in progress. Yeah. Yeah, it feels like there's been huge leaps made in progress over the last couple of years, but there's definitely, definitely a way to go. <laughs> Agreed. Sure. Yes. Um. So talking about the the tour, um, obviously you were there. 
Um, what was that? We've talked a bit about it, but like obviously as a sponsor, as somebody working with Liv, who's one of the sponsors of the jerseys and of the race, what what was that like for you? What does that look like for you on on a on the ground? <laughs> so I what it looks like, I mean, what it's like is it feels like um it feels like we're witnessing history in the making. I mean, it feels big and important and wonderful. And actually, yeah, with each, so I was, I attended the first year and then yeah, this year. And what changed for me this year again was I, I see that it's taking its own shape and there's kind of more of these like, oh, this isn't just like a copy and paste from the, the men's tour. There's something totally different here. And some, and you know, the, if we step back, you know, for me, a big thing this year was people being allowed into the paddocks, you know, like, and having direct access to, um, you know, from fan perspective to the racers and those interactions. So powerful. I mean, just like beautiful to witness and beautiful to be a part of. And I think there was an energy that you could feel there that had, it was that kind of exposure and and that to me was like oh that's the culture that's taking shape and I do think even you know the women and the palette like the women racing and in and, and the peloton and the way that they are kind of expressing their own stories throughout and sharing on social media channels and just sharing who they are and the way in which they express themselves that's really meaningful and different right so I'm seeing how again the kind of kind of like co-creation and and uh a new culture taking shape in the way that women's cycling looks at this elite level. And I think that's really wonderful. Um, as a somebody responsible for brand activation, my days are long and they're, they're it's full spectrum. Like one minute I'm, I'm literally schlepping boxes of class and, and, you know, working hand in, you know, arm in arm with a very small team to, to accomplish a lot. And so it's just kind of funny because the days start quite early and it's like the least glamorous thing. And then later in the day, you're on the podium presenting, <laughs> presenting a trophy, you know, to the white <laughs> winner. And, um, but, you know, I love the, all of it. And it's also an amazing thing to like kind of start the week and there's all this energy and excitement and I see you and we're having these conversations and then you get to about, and, and this is funny because I'm not racing, you know, the, the women are the ones like with the, that are doing an extraordinary thing day after day, but by day four, day five, you're kind of like, the fumes are a little bit running thin and get a little bit worn down. <laughs> there's still kind of some schlepping to be done. And then the next day you're like, wait a minute, it's over? Like stage seven, you're like, wait a minute. They're like, no, don't let it stop. Like this is, there's something here that it just feels like wonderful to be inside of, you know? Yeah. It's so interesting. So it is it is a very full spectrum experience and it is a lot of effort and, um, and it's multifaceted. Um, it's not, I'm certainly, the role that I have with the live team is, not there to only um stand on a stage um it's so it's such an opportunity right such an opportunity to not only share the stories um see you know find the stories share the stories see the stories um and also connect with people connect with those fans connect with the future and um that part of it is really like exhilarating 
And I, there have been like key moments. And it's funny because I do think those mountain stages, I love the climb, but you know, you Mark will probably do too, but like Tourmalay this year, I mean, it almost felt like mythic <laughs> in the conditions and just in all the fans that came out. And I was in a car, we were literally, we were like throwing out flags and, and hats along the, along the way, heading up before and um, made it up a little bit before. And then it just like, but it, so I saw this kind of expanse of, of that stage and I was just like, wow. And obviously the racing itself was just like extraordinary. So it's, it's a powerful thing. Um, and as soon as it is, you know, like this year again, it was kind of like, oh, so it's over. No. <laughs> a bit of that, but also definitely wondering how on earth they do it for three weeks on the oh, men's no. side. <laughs> I know. Yeah, both, both. Because truly it's like, that, I know. I, it, yeah, and it's extraordinary to think about it that way. But uh, this year there was a really special um, kind of uh re-entry I should say or unwind um in that Kate Verno and I actually had the opportunity to ride together in the Pyrenees and really debrief the experience and and also do some more you know envisioning of um as sponsors like what could happen in the future and that was um quite meaningful and um it was a really good way to kind of replenish again um and just kind of work you know like move some of that because you're in this moment and then sometimes you just feel like the come down of it like oh that's it and so I highly recommend we actually are thinking is there a formal way to you know again bring in other women uh leaders and um and have a little cycling um experience together at the tail end of the tour would be a fun thing to do every year that's fantastic. I love that. I love that some of the ideas for the next race might have been cooked up on the bike in the Pyrenees after the race. Yes. Yes. <laughs> More to come on that. Love that. Um, Great. I mean, I'm conscious that I'm keeping you from your busy schedule. So as much as I think I, we could talk for ages about all of these themes, um, um, I should let you go soon. But it's been so great to talk to you. It's been super interesting. Um, I hope the listeners have got a bit more of an idea about what goes on behind the scenes and got your perspective on on being a woman in the industry and how how that looks. So yeah, is there anything else that you wanted to wanted to add or anything you wanted to say? I hope that my response I mean, I tend to get pretty excited. And so I hope my responses weren't too long-winded and that you got what you you had hoped for um but for me it's just it's a joy thank you thanks for the thank you for what you're doing it's making a huge difference and I'm so grateful and I feel like some like again there's this unfolding um of something that is gonna be I don't know it's I'm so I'm I'm really excited about the future and yeah. so for, for a time to kind of uh reflect on that and share a little bit about um, my own experience and perspective yeah absolutely well thank you very much for doing that and thanks for your time you too and take good care me again hope you all enjoyed listening to that conversation with Cassandra as much as I enjoyed having it with her I think she made some really interesting points and her enthusiasm and her love of the sport and her job and her passion behind everything she does actually is just really inspiring and 
yeah, I, I really enjoyed our chat. If you enjoyed our chat, then stick around because there's going to be more of that sort of thing over here at Women's Cycling Weekly. Not always industry professionals within the sport, but also pro riders, uh, staff, anyone I can get my hands on basically throughout this winter, cross riders, um, you know, that sort of thing. So if that is of interest to you, I would love it if you could just click that little subscribe button wherever you are listening to this podcast. And if you don't already know about the origins of this podcast, I have a little newsletter. It's exclusively about women's cycling, um, hence why it's called Women's Cycling Weekly. Every week I bring a roundup of all the news, races, results, what to read, what to listen to, all from the world of women's cycling. And go check that out over at Substack. I will link in the show notes to that one. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please rate it because that helps other people to find it. And we want to share the women's cycling love. Thanks for listening. See you next time. A rich man's world I have turned the soul Of this beautiful land But that beautiful A rich man's world